The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. This is the point in the year when I think I and all of my colleagues on the admission side anyway start to feel like we're really getting down to the wire. So we've gotten past the early action, early decision deadlines. The University of California deadline was yesterday. The University of Texas deadline is today. And the January 1 deadline, which is the next biggie, is looming and the early decision or early action results are going to start coming in late next week and through January. So there's a lot of stuff going on right now, which is pretty excitement, exciting. Excuse me. Um, one of the things, you, if you've been listening, is that uh, we've been doing segments on some of the different school supplements. We've also been writing about them in our blog. Um, today we're going to do an all-Ivy version, and I'm hoping that we have enough time to talk about Penn, Cornell, Brown, Columbia, and Harvard. So you're going to want to tune in for that if your kids are shooting for some of those schools. But first, uh, let's talk about what can be kind of an unfortunate reality for many of us out there, which is student loans, um, and more specifically, the, how important it is to keep track of them and how to do it. Um, so I'm super excited to welcome my colleague, former Menlo College and Rochester Institute of Technology financial aid officer, Terry Tara, Pantanita Kelly. Uh, welcome, Tara. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, all right. So let's dig right in because we have a lot of stuff to cover. Um, I say it's an unfortunate reality. Student loans can be a great thing. They can um, give people enough breathing room to afford to go to college. Obviously, it can be unfortunate if you take on too many. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, but why don't we start with... Um, why it's so important to keep track of your loans. Oh, well, well, you're right. It, you know, student loans, they're, they're not an angel or a devil. They're just kind of the means to an end for a lot of people. And uh, there are, you know, if you have a student going to school for four years, it's possible to have four loans in the student's name, maybe four loans in the parent's name. There's, you can have some multiple loans. And when the student graduates and starts going into repayment on these, you know, it, it, if you have multiple loans with multiple servicers, you know, this is a, a you know, it couldn't be a long-term commitment. Ten years is the standard repayment. It can, for some, if they consolidate, it could be 30 years. So keeping track of those is really important. Um, I'll, I'll kind of give you, a, uh, for instance, my daughter gra- just graduated from college in May. Yay. So, yay um, is right. She, yay is right. She uh, she went to two different colleges, so she transferred in her freshman year. So she has um, like 
a Perkins, a federal Perkins loan and a federal direct loan from her first school. And then she has several federal direct loans from her second school. And they all have different servicers. So she's getting mail from three different servicers and they each want their own minimum payment and it can be very, you know, con- very confusing. So, um, you know, she, she, in order for her to stay on top of it, you know, it, it becomes kind of a, a, a challenge to stay on top of it. And if she right. doesn't, then, you know, we're talking delinquency, default of a student loan. That's not a good thing. So it's important. Right. I mean, it's really very much not a good thing. And can you talk to us a little bit about what, what does happen when a loan goes into default, a student loan specifically? Oh, gotcha. Sure. Well, just so you know, it's, in, in some ways, it's kind of hard to go into default. I mean, you have a servicer contacting you all the time, and, and it takes 270 days of non-payment to go into default. So there are ways to avoid it. But if you do go into default, essentially the, the whole loan is, is called, which means it's due and payable right then and there. No more monthly payments. You owe the whole thing right then and there. Um, you lose a lot of your federal um, you know, eligibility. You can't get any more federal student aid, including Pell Grants or student loans, if, if you go into default you know, until that's taken care of. You lose your forbearance and deferment options. Um, you can be sent to a collection agency, and that's super fun, <laughs> having yes. a collection agency call you. You know, they can, um, it's, it's absolutely going to affect your credit rating, your um, tax re- returns, your tax refunds can be withheld. You can have wage garnishment. You know, it's, it's just, it, it's just it's, it's nasty business. So if you can avoid it, absolutely avoid it. Yes, for sure, for sure. So with, with an eye towards avoiding it, um, what's the best way that you've found to help families keep track of all those loans? Well, there, there's a, a few really good online places that you can go now. Um, this, there's something called the National Student Loan Data System. It's NSLDS is the acronym. It's been around for about 20 years. And uh, the, the federal government um, is it, the, the kind of over, it's there, the overseer. But all of your federal loan information is there. So uh, if my daughter were to log into her NSLDS um, website, you know, it, with her specific information, she would see the loans from her previous school and her, and her, you know, her, for both of her schools. She'd see all federal Perkins, all federal direct, all federal plus, any federal consolidation loan, any old, you know, federal family educational loan. It's all going to be listed there. Um, also, at the studentloans.gov website, the, the one where you actually go on and, and sign your master promissory note and do your entrance loan counseling, you can also see uh, all of your loans, your federal loans there as well. Um, but what is missing from those is if you have any private educational loans, those will not show up on NSLDS or studentloans.gov. Um, so the best way to find a listing of all of your loans is your credit report. Just you know, yep. you're allowed to pull your credit report free once each year, and uh, we recommend annualcreditreport.com. It's free once each year. So you don't have to put in your credit card or anything. So, and, and so your credit report should show all of your loans, both federal and private. Right, and I mean, that's what a great habit to get in just in general, right? Pulling your credit report every year, yeah. making sure that what you're doing is actually showing up, making sure you see if there are any issues, and long after your loans are paid, you should still be doing that. Not that that's our business, Absolutely. but I think it's good advice. <laughs> um, Absolutely. <all> right. <laughs> so, um, you've, you know the websites, you just gave them, but how do I check my loans on those websites specifically? So, how do I look for my specific information? 
Um, they make it kind of easy now, I think, or at least easier than it used to be. So let's say you go to studentloans.gov, the, the federal government's website. It's going to have you log in using your FSA ID, your federal student aid ID. And that's the, the same thing that students and parents use to find their FAFSA. So you should have that information in front of you. You sign in with your federal student aid ID, and then all of your information is going to be right there. You can click on repayment estimator, and it'll... Um, you know, it'll tell you to say, do you want to use all of your loans? Yep, take a look at all of your loans. It'll tell you each loan and the date that you got that loan and what the balance is and the, the different repayment plans that you're eligible for. So, you know, that's just a, that's just a, a great, you know, place where you can look. Uh, if you wanted to look at your NSLDS record, that's nslds.edforeducation.gov for government. And then again, you're going to uh, sign in using your federal student aid ID and you're going to click financial aid review, and then it's going to list every single one of your loans, well, every single one of your federal loans, and sure. it's the, the date and the loan amount, and then you can click on each individual loan, and it'll tell you just pretty much everything you need to know, including who your servicer is on your federal loan, so, and, and what their website is, and what their phone number is, and, you know, so you, if, if you needed to say, gosh, I don't know who my servicer is for this particular loan, you can look at that on your NSLDS record as well. Got it. Okay. And um, just to repeat for people, just in case they didn't get it down quickly enough, it's studentloans.gov and nslds.ed.gov. Anything that you recommend internally, like creating your own spreadsheet to have on your computer um, where you can record your own payments or keeping your own records, is that something that you recommend? Like, is that something you're asking your daughter to do, for example? Well, I'm a data geek, so I have spreadsheets for everything. <laughs> yes, I absolutely have a spreadsheet with you know, because we, I borrowed a federal parent plus loan a couple of years while she was in school. So I have my own loans. I can look them up on studentloans.gov and, and, and mm-hmm. SLDS. Um, and I absolutely have a spreadsheet. And then um, another place that, and I should have mentioned this previously, is go onto your servicer's website. So what, what I've done is I've gone onto my servicer's website. I've created my account using my social security number. They've found all of my loans. And I can see each individual loan. And if I want to make a specific payment to a specific loan, I can do that. So, oh, cool. you know, having, yeah, having, so what I can do is I can have my spreadsheet and I can see, okay, which loan, you know, has the highest interest rate. Maybe I want to make an extra $25 payment to that particular loan. And I wouldn't have that information in front of me unless I put it in a spreadsheet and I had it, you know, like I could review it all the time. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, obviously it's not for everybody, but if you are, like you say, like a data geek or someone who enjoys spreadsheets (laughs) or just really would like to have a little bit of control for, um, you know, maybe those times where you can't log on to the site for some reason and you really want to know some information. I never think, I always think it's a good good idea to maybe keep your own records as well. Um, Absolutely. Last question really for today is just, um, you know, you talked about paying the loan off with the highest balance, maybe making extra payments to that. I know sometimes people talk about things like consolidating their loans and maybe that making it easier to keep track because instead of having one lo- or three loans, maybe you can consolidate and only have one. Um, do you think that helps? Is that something you recommend? Well, it, if, if the person's main goal is to simplify the process, then yeah. You know, doing a federal loan consolidation might be just just what you need. Like in my daughter's case, she has three different loans with three different servicers. If she did a federal loan consolidation, she would have one new loan 
with one servicer and one payment. That is simple. Um, mm-hmm. If she had some private loans on top of that, those you can't include in a federal consolidation. She would have to do like a private consolidation. And then if she included her federal loans, she could lose some federal benefits. So there's some intricacies there that uh, consolidation is not a, it's not a, it has its pros and cons, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yes, sure. it can make it sim- more simple. It can simplify the process. But you might pay actually a little more interest because they take a weighted average of the, the loans and they raise it up to the next one-eighth of, of the percentage. So, you know, is it the perfect thing for everybody? No. But will it help for some people who just want to simplify the process? Yeah, Absolutely. Right. If having one loan means that you will be more on top of paying it, awesome. But to your yep. point, if, you, if you're going to end up paying more and you think, well, I can manage making three payments, then you might want to stick with three and pay less money in the end of the day. Yep. I think we all, exactly. the more money of our own, that we can, our own that we can keep, I think we all like that idea. I'm with you on that. <laughs> all right. All right. Tara, is there anything else that um, you didn't get a chance to talk about re- with regard to keeping track of your student loans? I feel like we got a lot out, but just in case, I thought I'd throw it out there. Well, there are some um, some templates that you can use on, uh, you know, if you just go to a, you know, a spreadsheet template, oftentimes there will be some templates that you could just pull up that would make it really simple and easy for you to put in all your information. Um, you know, if, if you find that helpful, um, if you use any kind of uh, budgeting software, uh, you make sure to put your student loan information in there as well so that you make sure you don't miss any payments. And uh, also, you know, it, it makes uh, the um, student loan servicers make it very easy for them to directly withdraw their payments out of your account and you sometimes get a uh, an interest rate deduction by getting it set up that way. So instead of you actually making the payment, they'll just come and deduct it, you know, on the date that they're supposed to and that makes it a little easier as well. That's another way to, to avoid some default. So there's a few other tips for you. Nice. Thank you so much, Tara. Really appreciate you being here with us. Sure. It's my pleasure. All right. Uh, All right, everybody, don't go away. We're going to be back after the break. We're going to discuss supplements um, for some of the Ivy League schools out there. So give us a minute. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, as I promised before the break, we're going to start talking about some more school supplements. And uh, joining me today is my colleague, former Georgetown and Franklin and Marshall admissions officer, Karen Spencer. Hi, Karen. Hi, Beth. You know, as I was writing this up today, I thought, I think you were my very first guest, internal guest really? on the show. I think wow, so. Wow, I feel very honored. Wow, I don't Good. think I knew that. I'm glad you didn't tell me that at the time. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, and and uh, what's even more amazing is that I think that goes back two years now. That's how, almost how long oh, we've been really? on the air. Really? That's how I know I'm old is how long things have happened. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was like six months ago. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. No, it was two years ago. So anyway, well, not quite two years ago. But anyway, welcome back. I know you've been on the show since then. I just thought, fun fact for everyone. Um, well, there we go. And I should... And I should stop with the fun facts because you and I have set a very ambitious target of getting through quite a lot of stuff today. Um, And so what I promised in the opening was that we were going to talk about Penn, Cornell, Brown, Columbia, and Harvard. Uh, And the way we're going to be able to talk about all those is that I am going to very quickly knock Penn and Cornell out. I think that, first of all, for those of you listening, if um, you or your child is going to apply to Penn or Cornell, the very first thing I would do, once you finish listening to the show, of course, is to go and listen to our September 15th show. On the September 15th, 2016 show, we talked about why this college essays in much more detail, um, you know, how to think about it, what are the important things to make sure that you include in those. Um, so you're definitely going to want to go and listen to those because Penn and Cornell's supplements are really, all they are, are why this college essays with the key being that you want to be specific to the school at Penn or the school at Cornell that you are applying to. So there are four options of schools you apply to at Penn. There are seven options at Cornell that you can apply to. And you want to make sure that you are being very thoughtful about why you're applying to that school and that it comes across in that essay that you write for Penn and Cornell. And that, my friends, is all we're going to talk about with regard to Penn and Cornell today. So Brown... Karen, the very first question Brown asks is actually something that we see on, a, on um, Harvard's application and on a couple of others, including Georgetown's, um, and that is, please briefly elaborate on one of your extracurricular activities or work experiences. What do you, when you are talking to a kid about this essay, what are some of the things that you tell him or her? So when you see a question, I would say, on uh, school, particularly that takes a common app like this, um, where it's their supplemental essay, I think the first thing you always want to think about is, you know, these schools that take the common app didn't get to pick the common app questions, right? They're stuck with what the common app gave them, right? So the yep. question yep. they pick is because they want to know. It's important to them for whatever reason, right? Um, and especially when it's not the why this college, right? A lot of colleges have that. But the questions that don't fall into those two categories aren't the common app question and aren't why this college, are kind of your opportunity to tell the school what you value, really, and, and why it's important to you, and perhaps why it's a good fit for that, right? You want to kind of think about it in that context. And so um, this seemingly kind of very innocuous question, which it is, shouldn't though be kind of a blow-off question. I think that's easy to say, oh, well, I did this, right? It's prepared, mm-hmm. or this is the thing I do the most of. And I think you really want to think about it in a way of 
what do I do that's actually the most meaningful to me? It may or may not be the thing you do the most often or have done for the longest or whatever. Maybe you read to, um, you know, kids, uh, you know, every, you know, Tuesday and you've just started it, but it becomes super meaningful to you. Even though you played tennis or done something else for four years, this may be the better, the better answer because it really tells them what, what you value and why you value it. You really think mm-hmm. about, you know, the fact that your activities list is already on your application, so they're going to know you did this, right? So that's, it's not about informing them. It's about enlightening them about why this is something that you spend your time doing. Yes, and I would say that another reason why it might not be the thing you spend the most of your time doing because maybe you wrote your main essay about that. And Correct. This is not the place to rehash what you already shared in your main essay. It's really ideally a place where you're going to tell them something new that they don't know, you know, that they they haven't. I like the way you put that. You're not informing them. You're enlightening them. They want to know maybe more about why you do what you do rather than just what you do. And I think that's key. Um, Yep. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I know that one thing that I sometimes tell students about this particular essay is to think about one element of that activity and um, really try to elaborate on that element. So, for example, I had a student who um, was a big skier, and I asked her to tell me, well, what do you love about skiing? And she loved being on a ski team. She had a lot of friends, and that was really fun. Um, she loved just going to the mountain. She liked that kind of whole vibe that you have when you're on the mountain. And she also just loved the experience of skiing down a hill. And what she ultimately wrote her activities essay about was that kind of like what it felt like to her to, to be on skis and to ski down a hill. And it ended up being a really cool essay. And I think it turned out better than it would have had she tried to crush all of those things or cram all of those things into one short 150 word piece. So one last right. piece. And again, that's unique to her and unique to the sport, right? Because being on a team, any person who plays a sport is on the team, right? So exactly. that's not unique to you, right? That, but the, the part about, I mean, I have no desire to pee. It's like too much work. It's super labor intensive. I always have to pee as soon as I put my gear on. Like, it's just a snappy <laughs> thing for me. I'm always intrigued by why somebody would want to do that day in and day out. I also hate winter, so this is clearly the wrong sport for me. But that'd be why I'd be particularly fascinated in listening to why somebody else would like to do that because it just does not appeal to me. Exactly, exactly. And I think it allowed her to show some things, more things about how she just thought deeply about something and could describe what she was feeling, which is not always an easy thing to do. So, all right. Let's move on because we have a lot to cover. Um, The next question that, one thing too I want to point out about Brown's application is that, um, and Columbia is similar, um, they're very specific word limits for each one of the questions that they ask, and they are not the same for each question. So you have to, not only should you be paying attention to what they're asking, but you also want to pay attention to how much space you have to answer it. Um, And a couple of years ago, actually, Brown... Yep. I was gonna say I think that's super important because you got to get in and get out, and you can't like try to cover too much material. Like focus on one or two things, and you've got 150 words or less, especially like 50 words or 100. Pick one yep. or two things, and that's it. That's all you have time yes. for. If you try to do four or five, you're gonna dilute all of them. Exactly. And if you don't pay attention to the word count before you start writing, well, now you've just done a ton of extra work. And who wants to do a ton of extra work, especially at this stage mm-hmm. of the game? You- Not me either. What was interesting, too, is that Brown was doing a while back, they did actually character counts. And I have a feeling people were just completely flummoxed because I know my kids were always, 
Yeah, they, they just didn't know how to pay attention to that. So anyway, they changed to word limit a couple of years ago. All right, next question that Brown asks, and I think Brown and Columbia both um, make things, I think, a little tricky because they ask two questions that in many ways could be answered. It's tough to kind of separate out your answer. So let me tell them both, and then we can kind of talk about how you help students think about them differently. So the first one is, why are you drawn to the areas of study you indicated earlier in this application? If you're undecided or not sure which brown concentrations match, match your interests, consider describing more generally the academic topics or modes of thought that engage you currently. And then the next question is, why Brown? And for me, the challenge here is that when, I, when students are writing about their academic interests, it makes sense to then link it to how they want to explore those interests at the school that they're writing this for. But in many ways, Brown is kind of asking you to separate those two things out a little bit or you could kind of combine them. It kind of, I could go either way, and I'm curious what you do when you have kids working on these. I think for a kid, I think it's harder to answer these when a kid is actually undecided, but what mm -hmm. I do try to think of, I kind of think of this as kind of an academic question on the first one, and then like a cult, why is it like a cultural fit for you with the Y Brown one? And if we need to bring in something because, um, we didn't get to it in the in this you know area of study you've done you know aspect you still have more to say on that then I think you can put that into Y Brown but again both have like 150 words so you're not given much here so I do generally and it's worked out this way it may not one day um, have them really do kind of an academic focus on the first and then the second be more about Y Brown is kind of a cultural fit for them and and if that turns into a course. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Like I had a student this year apply, and she talked about how she wanted to be about her major in the first one, and then the second one, she actually talked about when she thought of her essay. It was great, but one of the things she said she knew she wanted to attend Brown was when in the tour and info session, one of the students was talking about how it was like a it was a oh, I can't think of the name of it, but it was kind of about being black in America as a female was like a rite of passage for all Brown students to take this course. And she thought, that's not a course you would see everybody take at another school. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not, mm -hmm. like, something I was like, yeah, we all take that course. Like, of course. Um, like, that was just a given because it was such an interesting course. Everybody was going to want to take that. And she said that by itself was enlightening to her about this culture of this school. Uh, so in that regard, she mentioned an academic course, but it wasn't so much about her, um, her, her course of study so much as it talked to her about what Brown values and, and diversity and diversity of thought. Um, and, and this is being told uh, by a man, no less, when the, the tour guide was, was a guy. So she was particularly impressed that this guy wanted to take this class. Uh, right. What do you think of one kind of academic versus cultural? Yeah, and, I, and um, sometimes, too, what I've had uh, students kind of think about is certainly that first one has to be academic, right? So whether you know exactly what you want to study or whether you're undecided. Um, and sometimes they explore that a little bit further in the Y Brown where they're talking about how they're going to really dig into the thing that they're most interested in studying. Um, so I think it can work, but I also like your distinction about one being a little bit more academic and the other being a little bit more cultural. I know that frequently, and we actually just had a back and forth with our entire team about this, the whole question of Brown's open curriculum, which is fairly um, central to their 
identity as a school, this idea that there is there are no requirements beyond your major requirements. And when I do have students who are drawn to that in particular, who want to talk about that in one of these two essays, um, I certainly encourage it, but I always tell them you can't just mention it as a drive-by, like, oh, and by the way, I love your open curriculum. You need to dig into that a little bit more, not just the, wow, wouldn't it be great not to have to take anything specific or to have that. (laughs) Right, exactly, which many of them are tempted to say, but I tell them it's not just that you don't have to take calculus, it's much more this is how I envision myself using this freedom. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to resonate with an admissions committee who is trying to figure out what your role will be, what your place will be on their campus. Um, Which I totally agree with. Like you've got to figure, you have to say why. Don't tell them what they offer. That's, that's doing what I call is writing the guidebook. I always tell students, don't write the guidebook. Don't tell the school what they already know they have, right? You have yep. this. Yes, thank you. I know that. I work here. I knew that. Uh, what we want to know is why that is interesting to you. Um, and so I totally agree. You've got to explain why a, a, the lack of a core curriculum would be interesting to you. Which, of course, exactly. is interesting because Columbia has a very strict core curriculum. So that question is different then. Exactly. And similarly, why would you want that? And you need to show these schools that you've done more than just go, ooh, Brown, ooh, Columbia, ooh, Cornell, you know, ooh, Penn, any of, right, these names are all big brand names that seem to evoke a lot of passion in people. But it's the students who don't go beyond the surface that are never going to make the cut because they haven't really dug deeply enough. And for anyone who applies to all eight of the Ivies, I, I just... You know, I know you have a big thing about this, Karen, that I steal from you all the time, which is, you know, it shouldn't be on your list if you can't tell me why you're applying there. And because it's brown is not a good reason. So um, if you don't have good reasons for these schools being on your list and you can't articulate it in these essays, well, then I hate to break it to you, but it's probably not going to work out. Um, exactly. We always remind people this is a sports conference. That's the only thing these schools have in common. That's, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. So next question that Brown asks is actually, um, to me, this is one that can kind of separate the, I hate to say the men from the boys, or the women from the girls, but I do think this is one where you can really um, make a greater case for yourself. And that is, tell us where you have lived and for how long since you were born, whether you've always lived in the same place or perhaps in a variety of places. And I'm curious what you say to your kids. I certainly have some thoughts about why I think this is an essay that kind of can separate you out. Oh, yeah. No, I would totally agree with you because, boy, do I read a lot of bad first drafts on this essay. Yes. <laughs> yes. People, just take this question at face value, which, you know, I feel a little bad thing because there are some times where people have made things more complicated and I think just answer the question. <laughs> yes. you're, you're reading into this. Just answer the question. Uh, in this case, I would say that's the opposite, right? You know, we, don't, we know where you live. We can look at your address on the application. It's on four pages earlier, right? I know where you live, right? That's not what I care about. I want to know that you've given it some thought about how your environment has shaped one aspect of who you are, right? And I say one or because it's, again, it's a hundred word limit. Right, I don't. Yep. I don't. It's not going to. You can't shape your entire personality and a hundred word them and cover it all. So pick one aspect of why where you've lived, whether it was your actual physical house, whether it was your family, whether it was your neighborhood, whether it was your town, your state, your whatever that you really feel influenced um, your your upbringing, your who you are, what you, know, what you believe, whatever the case may be. I just actually read a great essay on this, and the girl was talking about how. 
Um, she really learned the idea of community because her neighborhood was one of those ones where everybody was in each other's houses. Like, they all lived next to each other, and, you know, somebody would be in somebody else's, ref- like, walk in and be like, hey, and, like, open their refrigerator. Like, that's just the community she lived in, right? Everybody knew each other. Everybody knew each other's business. Uh, but they didn't put it positively. It wasn't like a... And it was just a very, like, you know, whatever. And But this was talking about how she really learned the value of community, about how when, you know, their neighbor died, the entire neighborhood went. So every single person on their block, you know, attended the funeral. And it was a really moving essay about, you know, about what community looks like to her. And right. it was great. She, she took to went beyond the surface level of the question and got to what they're really asking. Exactly. And, I, you know, it is... It, I, I totally agree with you in that you kind of feel badly because nine times out of ten I'm saying, please just answer the question. Don't try to get ultra creative. But I do think this is one that screams out for deeper thought. And deeper thought is what's going to make this one stand out. And however you think about it, whether it's a way to explore what community needs to you, whether it's an, you know on the flip side of that, I've worked with a few students who have actually lived all over the place and helped um, the in that essay, helped the committee understand what maybe they'd taken away from each one of those places where they had been. Um, I had a student once write about how he'd always lived at the address where he was at, but that his second home and a place was camp, which, you know, camp can sometimes be a little overdone, but it was really well done. And, um, you know, in many ways you could say that it didn't, you know, well, he didn't actually live there, but he really made the case for the fact that he thought of this as another home of his own. Um, And that was really well done. Okay. Last question that Brown asks um, is something you'll see pop up on other applications, um, but specifically, we all exist within communities or groups of various sizes, origins, and purposes. Pick one and tell us why it's important to you and how it has shaped you. How do you get them thinking about what community can mean or what community to write about? I think this also can stump a lot of people. I think, um, again, I focus on community. I focus on group. Um, I think, you know, purpose. I said, I always say, like, read, read the prompt, right? Because I think this naturally gets to people who think um, it's a diversity question and they go to the natural, the normal suspects. So they think, well, I'm in this, I'm, you know, just this average white girl from New Jersey. I have nothing interesting to say is the wrong way of looking at this. This is not the question. That's not what they're asked. You don't have to have, you know, this super different background. Like, they're looking for within a community or um, maybe it's your church community, your temple community. Maybe it is, um, I had a student just write about um, a Boy Scouts, how Boy Scouts really was where he found himself and how he learned to be who he was. And he learned all these, you know, he had all these different roles in Boy Scouts and that's, you know, where he found himself. But, you know, I think a lot of people take this again at surface value. I think it's a little similar to the one above it, not quite as, 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 as um, differentiating maybe. But I think also people want to take this at the surface value, and I think, like, think deeper. Like, what part of the community? Mm-hmm. Again, camp, I think, again, could be a great one for this. If I had to write this essay today, I think I could have, I could still write about how my camp community where I grew up, and now I sit on the board of directors, right, shaped who I was. That's the community. It doesn't have to be kind of, you know, that you come from this, this super different place. 
Right, exactly. And I had a, a student a few years ago, and actually she either is currently at Brown or has graduated, um, and she wrote about just these six friends of hers from middle school and how they formed a little community that really got them through those difficult times and then through high school, and how she envisioned the roles they would play in each other's lives throughout their lives. And it was so well done, and yet I think many people would never even think about their little group of friends as being a community, but it clearly was one and she was able to articulate it um, really nicely. All right, that's Brown. Hopefully we've given you some good thoughts about that one. Um, We have a few minutes before the break, so let's dig into a little bit more. Um, So getting back to, and I don't know that we want to uh, belabor the point, so um, I would say that the please tell us what you value most about Columbia and why is very similar to the Y Brown. And then the you have two options for Columbia because you're either going to be applying to the Foo Foundation School of Engineering and Applied Science or to Columbia College. And in both cases, they're asking you about what your, um, your current and past experiences attract you to the field or fields of study that you uh, noted in the member questions section. And if you're undecided, then, of course, the ones that you have an interest in. So it's the same thing as Brown's. Why are you drawn to your area of study? So um, what we just said about Brown, go ahead and apply it to those um, two questions for Columbia. Um, So before we go to the break, though, why don't we talk a little bit about um, another question that Columbia has, which is what aspect of the Columbia community outside of the classroom would you most want to impact and why? And this is a little tricky because they've already asked you what you value most about Columbia and why, and then what you want to study at Columbia and why, and now they want to know what are you most interested in getting involved in, really, and why. So um, any specific advice you have on this one, Karen? Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a little bit of repetition here. Um, I don't always sometimes wonder what admissions directors are thinking when they come up with questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brown, I used to make fun of Brown because Brown's questions have changed slightly, but it used to be like five different ways of answering why you want to go to Brown. I'm like, can we just answer this once? <laughs> one? Yes. Why don't um, we just write one and have it be 500 problem. words? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So at least they're short. But yeah, this one is, is, is a little bit of the same problem. I'm like, can you just ask it once and move along? Um, this one, though, I think where I would kind of, you know, again, the Columbia College is more about what you want to study, right, that academic piece. Please tell us what you value most about Columbia is kind of why Columbia. And then one aspect of the Columbia community do you want to impact is really asking me what you value, right? What, this is your opportunity to tell them what you value outside of the classroom. Um, and maybe it's, it could be inside the classroom too, but I think this question wounds itself, frankly, especially since you've already had to talk about the academic piece at least once already uh, in their essays to where you want to make the most impact. And maybe it's, um, you know, maybe you want to great, create great friends in your dorm room because that's important to you and you know how you've seen your parents' friends and, and how much, you know, how close they are to all of their friends in college and you're hoping to create that same community um, and future friends for yourself. And that, I totally came that off the, you know, off the cuff there. I'm not saying it's a great answer, but... You know, Could be. it's asking you what right. you value, right? That's mm-hmm. what you really want to think about is what do I value? Because that's where I want to insert myself. Right. And I think, you know, if you are very heavily involved in a particular activity in high school that you know you want to continue in college, then, you know, I would be looking at what opportunities there are available to you to continue with that at Columbia outside of the classroom and really be talking about how you might get involved there and the ways in which you are going to um, – 
create that impact. So they're asking you what aspect you want to impact and why. And I would also add in there that if you can talk about how you're going to do it, I think that's even better, right? So it's all well and good to say, I want to bring all my friends in the dorm together. Well, how, what are your thoughts about how you might do something like that? Um, Right. And, you know, elaborating on that a little bit. I think Really correct. So again, I think I would think about what you value and how you're going to be able to bring that sense for what you think is important um, to the Columbia community. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, hold that thought because we have four additional Columbia uh, supplemental questions to get to and all of Harvard's when we get back from the break. So uh, don't go away, everybody. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. Before the break, we were talking about Penn, Cornell, and Brown, and a little bit about Columbia, and so we're going to dig right back into Columbia. Um, So Columbia has four additional supplemental questions that we haven't touched on yet, and interestingly enough, they are all list questions. So I think my first question for you, before we talk about the individual questions themselves, is when Columbia says, list the titles of... Or, yeah, list the titles of, which is basically what they say in all four of them. Is it really okay to just list the titles of? So we also polled our, I polled our colleagues right before this just to kind of get a sense for that. And I think the um, answer is yes. First of all, it's always fine to just list, right? Again, follow the directions. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also, there was also something that said, it's okay if you want to write like a little thing that says, you know, why. So one of the first questions is, list the titles of the required readings from courses during the school year that most in the past year, right? So 
if you read whatever and you it really moved you and you loved it and you want to write you know a quick sentence on it, I think that's fine. Um, especially if it if it, it it illuminates a little bit of who you are and why you liked it, right? I you know you can't don't write like it was interesting. Like we got it. That's um, not you know, but if it was, right. Something, you know, that really made you question, I had a lot of people who have written about mice and men talking about, you know, about murder and capital punishment and, and all sorts of things, that, you know, but it made them question and, and it made them kind of unsettled. Um, and I said, okay, if you want to write a quick thing on that, that's fine, as long as you're not eating up what is a very short word count to not write other, you know, not be able to list other titles. Exactly. I, you know, I kind of take the cue from the students on this. I have some students who naturally gravitate towards doing a shorter list with a little bit of explanation, and they do it really well. Um, I have just as many and probably more students who stick with just a list, and I think I agree with the idea that I think it could be either or. I've had kids get in who just did a list, and I've had kids not get in who did a list, who did a list but with some explanation, and I've had the reverse as well. So um, I would never sit here and say, this is exactly what you have to do on this one, because I think it could be either or. Um, yeah. All right, why don't we look, dig into the individual ones? So the first is list the titles of the required readings, required readings from courses during the school year or summer that you enjoyed most in the past year. Anything in particular you suggest here to your students? Well, I think that you want to also think outside of the box here. Uh, I, I use a similar advice here as I do on the UVA question, which is, you know, um, what work of art, science, you know, blah, 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 that, you know, uh, you know moved you this year. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be literature, right? It, it, it required yep. readings could be your science test. Maybe you read an abstract that was interesting to you. Maybe you um, read an art book. Maybe you, you know, it doesn't have to be literature. So it could be um, Mozart's biography. Well, it could be a bio, whatever. You know, something about <laughs> whatever that you read. I was thinking, I was going to say autobiography, which I don't think exists. <laughs> um, no, biography. Um, you did for music class. That's totally fine. So think outside the box. It may be literature. If English is really your thing, that may be where you gravitate. But um, feel free to... Um, you know, think about your other classes. It doesn't have to be English. Right. And the one thing I just always want to point out to people is that they do, they are very specific in this in this question and two of the other questions about they want to hear about the past year. So if you're tempted to sort of reach back into previous years, I really would resist that urge and really stick with, if you can, the past year. Um, when you're answering that one. So the next question, very similar, um, but different in its own way, and that is list the titles of the books you read for pleasure that you enjoyed most in the past year. Um, I have some advice I give students on this one. I'm curious what you tell them, and then I'll offer mine. It might be the same. Well, you know what? I have had a lot of students say, I don't read much for pleasure, mm. and what do I put down? And so one of the challenges I've had is to say, and, you know, if some of our colleagues said this today as well, that if you don't read for pleasure, perhaps this is maybe not the best school for you. I don't, I don't want to say that universally. I don't think that's always true. There are people who do lots of things with their time and are not big readers, and that is fine. Um, but it does somewhat insinuate that they value reading, you know, outside of the classroom as something that they value at Columbia. So if you don't have an answer to that question, um, 
you know, I, you know, then maybe this, you have to think about, is this really the environment you want to be in? Um, so that's the first thing is that, you know, yes. think about that first. Um, I don't really, I don't give a lot of advice. I really just let people list, um, you know, I think, keep in mind that there's the next one is about print. And I think teenagers these days often go to the print electronic publications question is easier for them sometimes than straight up the book. Um, so I'm actually, you get um, well, my big thing is generally just to say, um, try to go for a variety. First of all, don't feel like you need to list things like War and Peace or <clears throat> some other thing. Big... ever read that for pleasure? Let's be clear. Come on now. I-, I will tell you it is on my Kindle right now because I did, re- I did watch the miniseries that was actually <laughs> really good. That was on TV a few months ago and I was inspired. Right, you can get back to me and let me know whether it was worth your pleasure reading list. I'll- well, again, it, it's, it is on my Kindle. That doesn't mean I've started it, A. And <laughs> B, I, I was an English major in college, and I do have this weird thing where I try to read a classic every couple of books. So if I do read it, I will get back to you, and I will actually get back to all of our listeners today to tell you what I think. But my point Thank being you. that I think a lot of students approach this and think, I've got to show them how smart I am. And I'm going to list a bunch of books that maybe I read, but I didn't, um, you know, someone made a great point, someone of our colleagues about, you probably don't want to list books that pretty much everyone has to read for English class, like To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that. Um, really, and, and I encourage them to have fun with it. You know, I in addition to reading a classic every couple of books, I also throw in some, you know, beach reading or trashy novels. And, and, you know, if I was to sit down and make that list, it would be an interesting compendium for sure. And people might wonder if really this was the same person, but I think that my choice in books really showcases who I am and how I think and the variety of my taste. And I would encourage students to think about this similarly. You know, it's fine to put down Harry Potter, um, but it shouldn't be all Harry Potter. <clears throat> it's fine to put down a classic, but it shouldn't be all classics. Unless truly that's really all you read, in which case maybe you want to explain that. You know, I don't have a lot of time for pl- reading for pleasure. I love classics. And so when I do have time, that's what I gravitate towards. Um, you just want to try to be authentic and true to who you are when, when you're answering that one in particular. Yeah, I right? think that's... Being genuine is, is key here, right? Is is it's okay yep. to say you read Twilight? It's okay. You're a teenager. That's fine. Yep. You know, like exactly. you can put that down. If that's what you read, put it down. Um, don't feel e- like you gotta apologize for your reading list. Exactly. So in in the interest of time, I'm not going to have us dig into the other two remaining, which are list the titles of print, electronic publications and websites you read regularly, um, or list the titles of the films, concerts, shows, exhibits, lectures, and other entertainments you enjoyed most in the past year. I think in general, the advice we just gave about that list of books for pleasure would apply to this. Don't feel like you need to be someone you're not. If you really loved going to a Cubs game or a Yankees game or a Red Sox game, then by all means, toss that in there. It doesn't have to be all Mozart concerts um, on that. Uh, All right, very quickly, let's get into Harvard. Um, uh, And I say very quickly because I'm going to skip over the first one, which is the exact same question that Brown is asking you about elaborating on one of your extracurricular activities. You can go back to earlier in the show and listen to what we said about that. Harvard also has an optional um, section. And as I understand it from my time traveling with Harvard reps and from the people we work with who have worked at Harvard, um, this was basically 
created because students who applied to Harvard really felt like they wanted to do more, more than they were being able to do or asked to do. And so they just really wanted to write an extra essay um, or give them additional information. So they created this as a way to allow students to do that. Over the years, I have had students apply to and get into Harvard without doing this optional section. Um, more and more, I sort of end up having them send something because usually they've written something for another school that might work really well here, or they have something they really want to express in this section. Curious if you have thoughts about anything interesting that you, you know students have done um, for this particular section, or if you have kids apply and not send something in this optional piece. I have um, usually had someone send something, to be honest. As you said, usually if you're applying to Harvard, you're applying to other schools that have a fair amount of supplements, and usually one of those supplements um, will suffice, because this is pretty open-ended, right? I mean, this is kind of essentially send whatever you want, you know, as long as yep. it's not, you know, ideally 7,000 words. Um, so it's pretty open, you know, open page here to write whatever you want, and usually I will have a student, frankly, recycle Something, especially if that something is particularly well-written. Um, often yep. I find the supplements are better written than the Common App essay is because it's more, more freedom sometimes or more focused. It depends on how the prompt is asked. But, um, so I will say I often have recycled essays here. I have had a handful of students um, not submit something because they were truly terrible writers. <laughs> Somebody, one of our colleagues said, really, if, if you really had a student that was qualified for Harvard that was that terrible of a writer? And my answer was, yes, I have. It doesn't happen <laughs> yes. very often. And perhaps it means that they shouldn't be going there. But, um, you know, yes, I have had a student that for all other purposes was qualified, but was just writing with nasty strengths. Um, and so for that student, for whom I really thought the essay was not going to do them any favors, and if it might actually hurt them, um, then I, I honestly didn't have them submit it. Uh, but generally speaking, I will have them recycle their best essay or tweak their best essay or make it longer or if it was a shorter one. Um, anything, you know, I think some, some people will view this not submitting it as a wasted opportunity, and I, and I get that argument as well. Um, so I think if your writing is remotely decent, this is an opportunity to show, you know, to add a different color um, to your yep. application that maybe is not seen there. And again, most likely you've got something you can recycle. Um, and very important, too, is they don't give a word count, but it should not be longer than a page. Do not take this as nope. license to write 10 because they probably won't read any of it, or maybe they'll read the first page. Not a good idea. Um, very quickly, because we are running up against time constraints. The, there is one additional question that is actually only required and asked of international students, and it goes like this. For students applying from schools outside the U.S. and Canada, what specific plan do you have, if any, for using the education you hope to receive? And you have 50 words to answer this, so it's incredibly short. Any particular advice for our international listeners, and we actually do have quite a few? Um, keep in mind, 50 words maximum is like four sentences maybe five, like you're yep. in and out. So be very clear about what it is. You know, why are you coming here, right? And not just, you know, why Harvard, but why are you coming here? Why, why is getting an education in the United States important to you? And what are you going to do with it when you go back home? So really, yep. again, super laser-focused, 50 words in and out, but be clear, have one major kind of take-home point for the reader here, whatever that is. 
Yes, exactly. Um, thank you, Karen, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and look forward uh, to coming on again. Absolutely. We will always welcome you back with open arms. Um, and I also want to thank Tara for being here earlier. Next week, um, my amazing colleague Ian Fisher is here. He's going to be hosting. He's actually going to be talking to a student who is thinking about transferring when she came home for the winter break uh, after her in, in the middle of her first year in college and ultimately decided not to. And she's going to talk a little bit about how her decision-making process went there. Um, he's also going to wrap up our session on Ivy League supplements by talking through Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Uh, and as always, I will direct you to our archives. We have a phenomenal blog with really, really uh, great information on additional supplements. And as you heard me say today, the September 15th show um, was all about the Why This College essay and how to go about answering that. So if you're looking for additional information, it's likely in one of those t- those podcast segments we've done um, maybe recently, maybe a year or two ago. Um, there are also lots of other great free ways to interact with College Coach. Uh, visit our website, getintocollege.com. Uh, our blog, I mentioned, getintocollege.com slash blog. We're on Pinterest. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also sign up for free downloads of the show on iTunes. And while you are there, if you would please rate the show, we would really appreciate it. Uh, and as always, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.